It's time for Talking Pictures Trivia. A quick friendly reminder from Bob Barker, don't forget to spay and neuter your pets. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends in today's somewhat host, Nick, and with me as always is... Tom. Additionally, joining us as guests, and one of them is a host this week, are... My name is Chris. And Doug. Thanks for joining us. You may remember Chris from prior episodes, including Spaceballs and Halloween. Doug also was on a plethora of episodes, including our first episode, Raiders of the Lost Ark, as well as the recent one on Get Out. Chris and Doug continue to conveniently like movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz, as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In round one, each question is worth one point, and in round two, each question is worth two points. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we followed up with our famous movie rant, Where Anything Goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Today, we are going back to 1984. Stephen King releases The Talisman. Yes releases Owner of a Lonely Heart. And David Mamet wins a Pulitzer Prize for Glengarry Glen Ross. During all this, Ivan Reitman releases his fifth movie, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters was released in theaters alongside Sixteen Candles, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Gremlins, The Karate Kid, and the last starfighter get hype for the fourth ghostbusters movie coming out shortly after this episode doug will be quizzing us today doug what is today's movie all about um i think it's a it's a classic or at least it was uh, iconic for me in my childhood it's about uh three parapsychologists in new york uh, who are joined by a fourth member of the team. Uh, they start a business catching ghosts after they get kicked out of their university. And they end up trying to stop a god of destruction from destroying New York City and possibly the whole world. Nick, if you only had one word to describe Ghostbusters, what would it be? Charisma, Tom. Witty, Chris. Definitely nostalgia. What about you, Doug? And my word would be slimy. It's time for question one. What is the license plate of the Ghostbusters car, which is an ambulance or hearse combination thing? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. All right, let's go, I guess, uh, reverse order like you usually do. Uh, so Nick, then Tom, then Chris. Ecto-1. I had Echo-1. I had this toy. It was called the Ecto-1. All right. Nick and Chris got it. Oh, I So close! <laughs> I thought they left the T off. <laughs> Ectoplasm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think this is probably one of the, in a long line of classic movie vehicles. Uh, you have like your, 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 your TV, you know, you have like the night, you have Kit from Knight Rider. I feel like this is right up there with the DeLorean. 
as like when you think of a movie, the first thing that comes to your head is you're probably the, the ghost symbol with this big slash through it. But the second thing has got to be the Cadillac, big gigantic ambulance as the as the iconic vehicle roaming the city of New York catching ghosts. It's one of my favorite things in there. I was going to say, it's a, it's also a hearse, <laughs> which I, I mean, it's a hearse. And when they take the, the packs out, it's the thing that the coffin sits on. <laughs> <laughs> slides out which is which i think speaks to you know the uh the task that they've assigned themselves in in this community you can correct me if i'm wrong but i think i think because the 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 reboot with the girl ghostbusters had the hearse as the ecto one i'm pretty sure this was the ambulance it's just the same chassis that oh would have really been on okay. a hearse the Cadillac, the Cadillac chassis would have been the same for both vehicles and i think that might have just been the gurney that you could pull uh, i thought it, well. i thought it was a white hearse uh, I'm, i might I might be completely wrong, but I've, I'm pretty sure this was the ambulance version of the Cadillac chassis, whereas the other one in the, mm -hmm. the women's movie is mm -hmm. the, the hearse. Okay. One of the scenes I love regarding this vehicle is when they get called to the hotel for the disturbance, the ghost, they say, don't worry, we'll be very discreet. And then the horns go, <laughs> they start pulling up with a grand uh, gesture of walking into the hotel, definitely not discreet. <laughs> yeah, their headquarters in, in the firehouse, I thought was also great. Uh, you know, the, it's all dilapidated and, and everything, but um, I believe it's Ray who finds the fire pole and he's sold. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to haggle down because it's so decrepit. <laughs> and he's like, this place is great. When can we move in? <laughs> it's also... It's also strange because it's Ray's money, essentially, that's on the line, or it's his house. So I, I thought it was odd that he's the one that's the least money conscious once once it comes down to things like that, even though I think it was his third, like a, a third mortgage, mortgage on his house. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah, men of science, Doug. <laughs> he's also he's also like the heart of the organization. So if you have this thing that a little kid would like, of the of the three of them, or I guess later of the four of them, he's the one who's who's going to be drawn to it, right? He's the most little kiddish of them. I mean, he, and even Dan Aykroyd looks that role. You know, as a young man, Dan Aykroyd has this kind of like, it's like this little boy face, you know, there's no real like defined bone anywhere in his head. <laughs> um, so I think that's when you realize like he's kind of, he's kind of the heart of the thing and Egon is much more of the, the logic at, um, it makes sense that he would be the one who would be drawn to the, the firehouse. They also love the sequence because it involves like small business owners <laughs> doing the things small business owners need to do. Like they have to get a vehicle, they have to get the house, they have to find a way to, to raise capital. I, f I found that, um, I found actually that really amusing. Well, even with the secretary, he's like, could you just like type something, you know, we're paying you. <laughs> She's got nothing to do but read. It's time for question two. In the beginning of the movie, how much is Peter Venkman paying the students for the ESP study? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. All right, Chris, you go first. I honestly have no idea. I'm going to say it's 10 bucks an hour. Uh, Tom? I had five. Not an hour. I did, 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 he just said five. I also have five bucks. Nick and Tom have it right. It's $5. Mm -hmm. 
And how many flashcards did he have? He's like, I have like a million more of these. He had he had 75 left to go. <laughs> so we saw two and they were 75. <laughs> That's really a good way of introducing his character, though, too, where we already see that the uh the student with the lovely 80s feathered hair um, is getting everything wrong, but he's like, you're a prodigy. You're, you're amazing. I can really tell you have a talent for this. It's really an interesting way of introducing his uh, persona in the film. Yeah, he's he's kind of a hedonist. He's, you know, the, the character that I compared him to in, the, in our notes was uh, Sir John Falstaff from the, the Henry IV plays, the Shakespeare plays, who's just this like, complete hedonist you know is just interested in kind of whoring and drinking and having fun um and and bill murray's character it's really bill murray we, we could call him uh bankman but it's it's bill murray we're watching um bill murray's character is kind of the same thing like he has this job but he doesn't seem to take it that seriously he's far more interested in in sleeping with the test subjects than actually getting results you know and he's also like strategically cowardly sometimes also <laughs> he's he's not the first person into the fight ever which is exactly what happens in um in in like the henry the fourth plays as well with falstaff there's this like like individualism that comes out of him that you know becomes the center of the movie i always thought egon was my favorite he was always so dry uh and like just so cutting and like just I like to study spores, molds, and fungi. Like he's just such a such an eccentric character that he's gotten wrapped up with this like snake oil salesman. And as you kind of characterized him, this little child who are now all in this wacky adventure where you have, you know, the the man of science who really has no social skills and the child that just kind of sees everything as a, as a as a play toy, and then the snake oil salesman in Venkman that is uh just looking out to make a quick buck and perhaps you know a quick yeah. date with Sigourney Weaver. I was going to say, what about that sexual tension between uh, Janine and uh, Dr. Egon, huh? <laughs> so like a lot of stuff in this movie, it just sort of comes out of nowhere. There's no explanation. There's no backstory. There's no character lead up. It's literally just like, okay, here's Janine. You've met her. Here's Egon. You've met him. And now for no apparent reason, Janine loves Egon. You don't have to know why. Just accept it. And that's like the one of many of those situations. So they must be made for each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm very intellectual. People say that about me all the time, but I think it's a fascinating way of spending your time. I, I <laughs> like her voice, though. I will say that joke kind of doesn't go anywhere. You know, we like we get the joke the first time, and I think it, it occurs three more times or two more times in the sequel. She ends up with Mick Rick Moranis, right? Isn't that the, how they they pair it up? But um. Oh, maybe it's, it's the cartoon. cartoon that yeah, I don't think I don't, it was in the I don't movie. Know. Yeah. I mean, like the very first time you meet her, Egon's under the desk. Yeah, no one yeah, just... why he's under the desk. Like he, he's obviously they're... fixing the computer, but I mean, it's just like a really very they're, they're... strange. Like, yeah, okay, there's an implication there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's uh, a, and again, I don't want to go into a graphic detail, but there is a certain uh, scene where. Uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd's character is dreaming of a, a specter visiting him in the nighttime, which is completely random. Yeah, that, this is this is I said it. I said in the uh, in the in the teaser from the from the last episode that I felt this movie might was a touch inappropriate for people that were coming from the De cartoon. Definitely. That specter scene is exactly what I'm thinking about because like it comes out of nowhere. They're just talking about how they're like they're they're tired. 
And then all of a sudden you get this dream sequence where Dan Aykroyd and the spirit are, are who knows what's going on. But I mean, it's, it's just, it's out of nowhere. There's no context whatsoever. It's and just they move on. a scene in the movie, never bring it up. Don't talk about it. Has no plot reference whatsoever. Just happens. It's like they wanted to fill their hour and 35 minutes or 45 minutes, whatever it was with just random snippets of things that they thought of at the time. But it's, it's Ivan Reitman, right? Who directed animal house. He was the director. Yeah, yeah, and he directed it. I mean, there's a, a precedent for the kind of um, for that kind of comedy. That's that's the world he he comes from. Um, yeah, so you you could recognize that in his other work. It seems it seems to make sense, and it's also just kind of fun, you know, that there's this demon who wants to have sex with Dan Aykroyd for for you know no, no real explained reason. It's also part of the montage of success, right? This is the this steep climb where you suddenly see them um, uh, be going from not having a client to being the toast of the town. Um, and that's sort of part of it. There's money, there's women, kind of. Um, you know, there's there's fame. It's it's all going well, that type of sequence. All right, at the end of round one, Nick is in the lead with two points and Tom and Chris are tied with one point each. I think I want to end the episode right here because we don't hear that phrase often yep. where Nick is in the lead. So, uh... so it's still anyone's game and stay tuned for the exciting conclusion. When we come back after these sponsor messages. Do you plan on cleaning the inside of your kitchen cabinets? Were you not planning on it, but would like the opportunity to do so anyway? Then call Kier's Kitchen Cabinet Cleanout. Our staff of Kier's will meticulously take out all the contents of said cabinets and prominently display those on your kitchen floor. This will give you ample time to access those hard-to-reach inner corners of your cabinets. Kier's Kitchen Cabinet Cleanout. All done! Not responsible for returning items to the cabinets in which the items were initially stored. In fact, not responsible for returning any items at all. And we're back. We've reached the critical point of our episode where we ask the guest or the guest host a key question. Chris, if you could watch Ghostbusters with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Uh, well, I've already kind of said that Egon was my favorite character in the movie. So Harold Ramis would be my choice. Uh, nice. Just to kind of see, he was in so many of these types of movies in the late 70s, early 80s really a, a big part of like my comedic movie watching history is by watching movies with him and Bill Murray or ones that he wrote or produced. So I would really want to sit down with him and maybe pick his brain about like the, the ins and outs of how it was made and where the ideas came from and why you have Dan Aykroyd, you know, having relations with a specter and then not explaining it. Like, I think these would all be things that he could actually answer over our meal and watch the movie. What about you, Doug? Who would you like to see the Ghostbusters film with, dead or alive? Uh, slightly different answer than usual. And I'm going to say John Belushi. So he was actually oh. originally supposed oh. to star in the movie. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, I believe, wrote the movie with him in mind. And I'm not sure how much he actually knew about the movie, but it would be curious to see what his take might have been and which character he would have played. 
I'm not sure if it's if he would have been the uh, Bill Murray character or maybe uh, Spangler's character or maybe even Dan Aykroyd's character. That's what I was wondering. I actually thought he might have been Venkman instead of I Bill Murray. I thought so. Yeah, and I and because I know Eddie Murphy was who they wanted for um, Winston, and I thought he oh, was that would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah, because there was a few in the original cast. It was. Um, it was not this guy. So I don't think he even had the same names, uh, but it was. Oh yeah, I don't even know now. Sorry, but I thought it was. Um, I didn't think it was all three of them. I thought that they only had Dan Aykroyd. I thought he was the only one who was the same in all. I'm reading something where it says that Dan Aykroyd referred to the Slimer ghost as the ghost of John Belushi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Slimer's gluttonous eating was based on Belushi's cafeteria scene in uh, Animal House. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess he did get a reference still in this movie, even if he, he if he wasn't in it. Yeah, well, it was definitely definitely Belushi. Um, let's see, John Belushi, Eddie Murphy. We're kind of <laughs> we're kind of trailing here because I can't find my source. <laughs> uh, you could also talk to um, uh, good old Egon about the original script. Have you guys heard about the original script? No. The original Ghostbusters script? Oh, it got lost. But it was Dan Aykroyd and um, Harold Ramis wrote it. And the original one, they wouldn't do it because they're like, it's going to cost $200 million in 80s money. But it was going to be like in an alternate dimension, Ghostbusters across America and across dimensions are constantly fighting ghosts. And the the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man was like the first of many monsters they had to fight. Um, apparently, it was this like futuristic dystopian uh, nightmare thing that that it was originally. And uh, Ivan Reitman came in and was like, "You cannot afford this. <laughs> this is going to be ten times the budget that you you have for this film." Um, but yeah, read read up on like the original script, which I think was lost. It, it sounds absolutely wild. I would love to see that. I think it would even be too expensive to make that vision today. It's time for question three. What does Venkman give to Spangler after they leave the library? This is after the initial sequence at the New York library where they get scared off by the ghost. And Venkman hands Spangler something. Oh, locked in. Uh, uh, Locked in. Locked in. Thought I beat you, Chris. So, Nick, you first. He hands him a sample of ectoplasm. Tom? Bottle of booze. Chris? Yeah, I'm assuming that you're talking about in the basement of the, of the library, so I had ectoplasm oh. in a little Petri dish. Okay, so actually, let me ask, let me ask this again, because none of those were actually the answer I was looking for. <laughs> so, oh, no. Okay, so this is outside after they leave the library, and they're, they're, they're calm. They They've been scared, but they're, they calm down. Uh, so Venkman hands something to Spangler, and I believe he says something like, you deserve this. I'm going to lock in. I'll lock in, too, I guess. God, I don't remember at all. Uh, I'm going to lock in, and I yep. guess i go first. It's, uh, I'm going to say, like a, a VHS recording of the event. I remember him talking to Dan Aykroyd. I remember him talking to Ray and giving Ray the bottle of booze because they're talking about what they're going to do next and have this big idea about being ghost hunters. 
uh, or no, no, that was outside of the uh, the university when they get fired, actually. University, yep, yep. So yep. now I'm completely lost. Uh, so outside of the library, I'm going to say he gives him a hot dog because it's New York and dirty water dogs are all over <laughs> and I'm hungry, I guess. Okay, my answer, I don't vividly remember this, but I think he may have given him the ghost trap. All right, so nobody got this. This was a very, what was this it? Was a very strange what is it? thing that, uh, didn't make any sense, but he gave him a Nestle Crunch Bar. That's oh, right. You are so <laughs> That's right. Yes. Oh God! And I remember also having that reaction, yeah. being like, "That's what does Super that mean?" Product placement. Yep. Yeah, I was oh. gonna say product placement, and, and almost right like there. he trained Spengler, like he's trained him to do things based on like <laughs> treats, like Pavlovian training of uh, of the scientist. Yeah. But it's also it's also that character's way of treating people. He has this kind of ironic distance from everything. He just is having fun. He's always having fun. When things hit the fan, he's still having fun, you know. And so even when there's a major event, he doesn't get too hot about it either. He doesn't get too excited. There's always this like bit of irony between him and everything. Um, that's yeah. that's the best reading I can give yeah. of that scene. It was, it was odd, and I'm not sure what the purpose of that other than product placement was. Uh, so on that note of product placement, uh, there was, I think so, there were a couple other ones. Uh, I noticed a notable one was the Twinkie. They had this whole conversation about the size yes. of the Twinkie, which, uh, which I thought mm -hmm. was pretty funny. What was it like? Was it 30 city blocks or 30 something? There's something yeah. with the size 30, of the 30 times yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah something. They're, uh, the Budweiser, where when you drink a Budweiser, you always put it down so the label is <laughs> facing in a ninety-degree angle from you. Especially when there's multiple cans on the same table. Yeah, they were they were they were having a, a fun little dinner. They're having a stockbroker's lunch. But imagine how many Budweisers they would have had shown on screen if they were trying to make their original version <laughs> of the movie. Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. What it was another good product placement. Um, do you think Larry King paid for his product placement or Casey Kasem? I don't They probably got paid to be in it. Mm. Yeah, I doubt yeah. they paid it. <laughs> Baloney? Yeah. Uh, um, the, the Baloney? Oh, Oscar, was, did you Oscar actually Meyer, see it? I don't know. Yeah. Oscar Myers. Did you see, what, did you see the logo? Did yeah. you see the logo though? I thought what I saw it? the logo. But he also says... Even like, if you don't see the logo, it's definitely that iconic like vacuum seal yellow square yeah. package. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the the commercialism of the the commercialism of the movie is is also, but it, it matches the themes of the movie, yeah. right? This is like a a very pro commercial type of film. <laughs> like all the villains are the people trying to get in the way of them doing their I job. Feel this was, this was <laughs> also like a very high budget movie for a couple of actors that are like not really busted into movies yet. And it was kind of like a comedy action sci-fi. Like, I don't think there was a, a, a film studio banging down Bill Murray's door and, and Dan Aykroyd's door to have them make this movie for the money that it cost. So getting the product placement was probably important to get it paid for. Yeah, they had done, um, Murray had worked with uh, Reitman on- um, they, they had done Stripes first, Stripes right? already? It worked on Stripes, and he had just done The Razor's Edge. I think he had just wrapped that before coming on here. So I, I think Reitman was the big money guy in the sense that he had that kind of establishment and those connections to, to help 
funnel money into this. Then the rest of it became like an SNL thing. And I, I don't think this is the first SNL movie, right? It, it was not. Um, and it's not, I think, an officially an SL, SNL movie anyway, because I don't think it, it's produced by um, Lorne Michaels. Uh, but it does have that kind of SNL feel of, you know, we're seeing the comedians from SNL doing the things we're used to seeing them doing. Talking about not everyone was banging on the door to make this movie. Again, this question will be awarded no points, but what was the rating of this movie? Was it PG-13? Oh. PG-13 didn't exist oh, yet. Because Temple, didn't exist Temple yet. of Doom. Create. So it is PG. So remember before when we were saying about some of those questionable things for young audiences? <laughs> this was a PG film. You got to love the 80s too, because... And I've talked about this in other episodes. It was a magical time where action figures were made for rated R movies. I mean, it just, it, it was amazing. <laughs> it's time for question four. What is the first time we see the Stay Puffed Marshmallow logo? Locked in. I was going to bring this up in Movie Rant if it didn't come up as a question. Locked in. Oh, I'm, I don't know. I guess I'll lock in. I say I I'm um I'll say we see it in uh Sigourney Weaver's apartment. Uh specify oh um, like like roughly um, the context. They which, uh... they when when he goes to um when he being Bill Murray's character uh, uh, goes to the apartment to first check it out to make sure um to make sh- to make sure that it's you know whatever and not to, to check on the possession there's the state puffed you know food product there uh so yeah it was uh sigourney weaver witnesses the eggs kind of exploding on her kitchen counter and that's next to like the big food bag and poured out of the food bag next to where the eggs were was a bag of state puff marshmallows on the counter of her kitchen. And I'm pretty sure you see them when Venkman comes in and he's, a, he's picking up the, the cooked eggs on the counter, which was kind of funny. Okay. So I thought Tom was going to get it. He was very close, but we see it in the scene before Venkman comes there. We see that when she first is returning home with the groceries and the eggs are popping all over the place. So you do see it later, but you also see it when she first gets home. Hmm. So Nick and Chris were both correct on this one. I totally thought you walked into it, Tom. I thought you were going to get yeah. it. You were so close. You were very close. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Did this just really happen? Did I win an episode? Yeah. As, as, as soon as I heard you uh, lock in so quickly, I was like, oh my goodness, Nick I'd like to thank this. all of our listeners. <laughs> I, I, did, I, I don't mean to sound condescending. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is good. Nick won one. Yeah. This, is, this, is, this is exactly why you didn't want to host I, this I had, one. I had a you chance, to be able to win chance one. on this one. You know, this, this one wasn't about uh, uh, the 1940s Franco regime or um, some kind of uh, subtitled uh, foreign film. So I had a shot here. It's an 80s buddy comedy. Yep. That's a- yes. <laughs> right in my wheelhouse (laughs) so i believe the only other instance before we actually see the safe off marshmallow man is after the uh containment storage uh thing gets let go then there's uh stay puffed 
ad on the side of a building. Oh, I don't remember that. That's a good catch. And is, this isn't a real product, right? I don't think so. No, it's made up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because that was but in the uh, it was apparently in the original uh, script also. That was like one of his visions. Dan Aykroyd's was the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man that carried through to this new new edition. I know you can buy Stay Puffed Marshmallows now, but I think maybe they came after the film. Yeah. I think maybe the film like begot. Yeah, I'm like looking a, a at this. Brand. It was a fictional food in the Ghostbusters franchise, but I'm sure they have capitalized on that. If this movie was so big on capitalizing on uh, placement, I'm sure they wouldn't miss this opportunity. Didn't they also? Have, I mean, let's be honest. They had like a, a Ghostbusters cereal at one point. I mean, they they put that logo on anything they could get away with. That was when they had the cartoon. Every everything was picture Saturday morning cartoons were how you drove the cereal aisle as well as the toy aisle of your market of your grocery and your and your Kmart's at the time <laughs> or the Caldor. Yeah, yeah. Or Bradley's Caldor. God, <laughs> did that make it out of the eighties, Caldor? I I don't know. I don't, I, <laughs> I vividly remember a Caldor right around the corner from my house, and it was this ugly brown building with the orange letters. It was incredibly sixties mm. and the seventies that just kind of mm. lingered longer than it should have. It ceased operation May fifteenth, nineteen ninety nine. For all those who care. <laughs> Cal. Okay. So so audience, you now know when Caldor is expired. <laughs> so audience, you now know that Caldor existed and now no longer does. <laughs> yeah. What a great villain, though. I mean, I know it was the embodiment of Gozer, but you get to choose the shape or form of the destroyer. I mean, that really is pretty clever that it was a giant marshmallow man. Yeah, it's 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 fun. I, I it also, you know, speaks to the lightness of of, of the movie. Uh, it, it's not what it's it's odd enough to be enjoyable, right? Um, without being so odd that it bounces itself out of the summer blockbuster contention, that type of thing. Because it made about what about a tenfold profit, something like that, in in its initial release. Never mind the merchandising. Never mind the cartoon. Never, you know, minding all all of that that additional thing. And I think it's probably for you know for that the reason that it can be a little weird without being overly so. Um, the gozer in her or his or its female form, real eighties, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, they look like a like a David Bowie. I was just gonna say I got a David Bowie vibe. I totally was gonna go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this thing is also, I think, maybe one of the the reasons why I I, I don't. Yeah, it, it's fine to revisit, but I don't entirely. I'm not a huge Ghostbusters person. Is it? It is really. Um, it it really does feel quite a bit dated or or even tired um when watching it sometimes but i i still have to say like i it's worth watching kind of bill murray do anything um and and having that kind of um having that that kind of spirit of individualism which runs through this movie is also enjoyable and i love how it's connected to pleasure right like bill murray's character vankman he likes to drink he likes he's he's gonna hit on the client if she's good looking enough right and we're gonna love him for it um 
you know, anybody who kind of gets in his way sucks and we hate them for trying to do it. They're like, they're not, you know, like uh, Peck, the the EPA agent, he has like no interest. He clearly has virtually no sexuality either. Like you can't imagine him being wanted or wanting someone in exchange. He's, well, they know, covered that in the film in the mayor's office. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's <Yes>. true. <laughs> um, he's he's authority, right? That's the thing with with uh, with the pecs of the world. You know, there are these these little authoritarians who run around and try and control things. And and Vankman is like completely defined by not being controlled. You know, he has this kind of this sort of anarchist like emotional range right where it's just like um where he just does what he wants it's it's not steered by anything um he goes after what he wants and he doesn't you know he's not going to risk too much it's ray's money that's risk not his money he's not the first one to go up the stairs when he hears a sound there he volunteers ray to go up uh you know um, that's that's what I really think I liked about him. It ended up being this kind of like individual pleasure seeker. And then the villain is this like peckerless authoritarian. Just to the one point Tom was talking about dated, I, I'm definitely, uh, I definitely come from a difference of opinion there because I love the 80s movies and the, the way they blend practical effects with crazy soundtracks <laughs> it just it's it's this weird amalgamation of things that nowadays wouldn't fit but i think they do fit in that time capsule that is 80s movies but i think that's a personal taste but i i loved re-watching this i will i will infinitely watch this movie anytime anybody asks me to anytime it's on tv i will stop and watch the little piece of it that i can or oh i haven't seen this in a while i'll go get it off my shelf because i own the, the i own the blu-ray of it and i'll put it in my antiquated blu-ray player and watch it uh this movie has a special place in my heart mostly probably because of toys and i think now that i've been doing this podcast for a little while now with you guys and i feel like all the movies that i love just have to revolve around toys like star wars and this and everything it just feels that way i like I, I don't know why I don't like the Transformers movies more than I do, but I guess uh, I got to revisit them now. I haven't seen them yet. There is a nostalgia component to that. <laughs> yeah, I will say that after watching this, I really want to rewatch Ghostbusters 2 because it's been forever. And I know for a fact, I thoroughly enjoyed that film, especially with the ooze. And in this case, they got the walking Statue of Liberty. I mean, I, I, I have to see it now. I know. I, just, I know for I, a fact that yeah. I dislike that movie more than I like more than this I, one. I I don't think you really need to. <laughs> oh, you did. I yeah. I remember liking that more. The same. I remember. I think I may have more. seen them out of order. I I really think I may have seen Ghostbusters two first in theaters, just because of age. I probably watched the cartoon, and then I had more access to go to the theater when it came out, and then somehow later. I watched this first one. I didn't have cable TV growing up too, so that could have been a factor. Yeah, I remember I remember liking the second one, but it's been a while. I, I meant to rewatch it before this episode, but I didn't get a chance to. But I, I remember liking um, Vigo the Carpathian. Vigo the Carpathian. And, um, <laughs> Peter McNichols' character. Uh, I think it's Janos or, or something like that. And with his crazy accent the graphics actually moved up a notch too because that was the late 80s i think that was uh was it 89 
1989. I remember as a kid really enjoying the cartoon series. And I think that um, this may be where we all kind of differ. And, you know, uh, Doug and Chris, you guys have been on the podcast long enough for their actually <laughs> for us to be a little familiar with each other's tastes is that I, I tend to um, I tend to buck against the things of my childhood. I don't quite know why, but that tends to be my my natural reaction is um, uh, it's sort of almost like anti-nostalgia. I, I can't really explain it. It's this this universe was a big part of me growing up. I remember the cartoon as a child and we also owned the Ghostbusters thing. We actually had a Ghostbusters like firehouse that actually had an alarm in it that we didn't know it had an alarm until one day in the middle of the night it went off and they, <laughs> they couldn't turn it off. So they actually had to put it outside in the snow and you would look outside and it would be covered in snow and you just see the alarm coming from beneath the snow because the, the damn thing never would freeze. Um, and I, I you know those kind of now memories. we know why you know like maybe that's why I yeah. want <laughs> childhood trauma right yeah. there <laughs> yeah it's still going off to this day yeah god i don't know what happened to it but uh yeah it was um but i remember really loving the cartoon as a kid and that um yeah that that i really loved remember slimer became a a main character right he was like, like their, sidekick. Their, yeah, yeah. he was like their dog or yeah. something um but yeah, I don't know what it, I I don't know what it is, but I do kind of I always buck against um, the the promises of nostalgia. I'll say that it's time for movie rent. I think I've kind of given a lot of my readings of this this movie. I, I don't know, you know, um, I don't know how much else I I can. Well, I we can haven't talked up. about Sigourney Weaver at all. We okay. haven't talked about the. Well, this is kind of related to her, the gatekeeper and the key master. I mean, I feel like there's some yeah. things we need to address. Yeah, yeah, in. yeah. I, I mean, there's sure, sure, sure. So there's plot elements, and there's you know this super Rick Moranis. I mean, and, like yeah, at Rick Moranis is on. I mean, it's it's all just sort of, um, it's it's all just sort of a a a, a, a spark to allow these characters to bounce off each other, right? Does anybody really care? gozer is gonna summon the end of the world or you know anything like that i mean I, well, the I building found... was made to so yeah as a signal. as an antenna to, <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i know and the, the spirit the, forces or whatever his name yeah from 1920 who had unnecessary surgeries yeah i i go shandor yeah shandor who i think was in the that original was doug's script. bonus question maybe I don't yeah know. yeah um I, does anybody really care about any of that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's entirely I don't know. It's like entirely forgettable. Uh, well, I did enjoy Rick Moranis's character though. Well, Rick Rick Moranis as, is here, but I, as, as the key master. Although I found a huge plot hole. I know this is going to blow everyone's mind. The gatekeeper and the key master wake up from the gargoyle statues right next to each other, but then they have to find each other. So. Just thought I'd throw that out there too. Yeah, my my imagining was that they have to possess members of the opposite sex in order to got it and then unlock re the key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, that's how the gate opens. But I, uh, you know, although, we, we although, wait before you go down that path, I I do think it's funny 
that when the gatekeeper and the key master meet, Rick Moranis is in the more submissive position when they're kissing. Mm. Dare I say that she's taking the, the man's position of leading <laughs> and he's just kind of leaning over. I, I thought that was kind of funny, the, the role reversal there. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I my old point with the plot is that it's it's kind of irrelevant and uh, you know, but almost wonderful. interesting. It's in some ways this was kind of like watching sketch comedy. Like a lot of these guys come from sketch comedy backgrounds, like including Rick Baranis. Mm -hmm. Just that like it was like one sketch. It's like okay, here's the sketch with the crazy neighbor outside the woman's uh, apartment talking about accounting, and here's the crazy sketch about about this other thing, and here's the crazy sketch about the dog running through Central Park, and then it's just they kind of used all those things. Here's the sketch about the ghost and Dan Aykroyd in bed, and like here's the sketch about mm -hmm. the the library ghost. It, there really wasn't. There was a plot line. But it was very, very thinly veiled, and it just kind of had these like little vignettes hung on mm -hmm. it, where uh, you know, like, okay, we have this really cool idea. Let's hang that in the front of the film, and let's hang this at the end of the film. Oh, and by the way, there's this thing called Gozer. That's the big bad yeah. for it. Is to have exactly. I, I think that's exactly right. We've I seen think that it in is... other films, especially in this era, though. And Tom, there was that. Oh gosh, I hate when I bring up things and can't remember the name. The Japanese film that I felt had like an American style comedy that had a lot of- Michael Han? I don't think it was Michael Han. The one where they were slurping the pasta and they were trying to be Western. Oh, um, um, Wild Flower. Yes. Or, yeah. Was that the um, Chimpupu. Oh, Tampopo. Tampopo. Okay, giant tangent for yeah. the rest of the crew who have not seen this, but yeah, it had that same kind of feeling of a bunch of sketches loosely veiled together to create a comedy yeah i mean tempopo has you know this this drive of trying to create the perfect bowl of ramen <laughs> you know this is like this has a much more conventional plot uh, my, my only point is that like yeah and i think you're right chris it's it's a collection of it's a collection of sketches kind of i mean there's still a plot there it's just like you you know you for me you just want to watch bill murray do stuff right and sort of shirk the the various responsibilities that come his way you know i really could care less about gozer or the big building thing that is an an attraction for the other gozer the the destructor whatever 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 david bowie was called in this movie um you know what what was far more interesting to me was like watching how bill murray like um uh like dangles his degrees in front of people when he needs to his degree in psychology and parapsychology um you know that he kind of he has that as like a badge of accomplishment but he also is able to throw it out or dismiss it when he needs to uh you know like what he says uh back off man i'm a scientist you know it's just like that degree allows him to do that to have that moment there's no you know there's no like sense he ever earned it or worked for it or, or you know had to suffer through exams to to get to his dissertation you know he just sort of stumbled upon it well that's why my word was charisma because he really does take the lead in this film and his charisma drives almost every activity we see during the whole length of the film my my guess is that he cheated off of ray and egon to get his degree <laughs> oh i'm i'm positive He's probably the guy that got the two of them into college parties. And the mm. two of them are probably the ones that got him to graduate college. Let's talk about the depiction of college. So they're up at Columbia 
And yeah, I this is another thing I really liked. I one of my favorite lines is is from Dan Aykroyd's Ray, where he's like, "You haven't worked in the private sector. You don't know what it's like. They want results." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how you know they're in a in, in an environment where you can just drift, and even then, they're not doing enough. <laughs> yeah, apparently they don't have tenure because otherwise, you know, they, they they'd be in that little hovel for the rest of the picture. Yeah. But yeah, that that I liked. I I really liked the um, I really liked the fact that like the, these academics couldn't understand them either, and they they kind of go out and do it on their own. Do you want to talk about Sigourney Weaver? Probably at that point, I think actually I don't even know if I had seen Alien, but um, at least like you know when I was a kid, that was I think the only other thing I knew her from, and you know it's a very different role. <laughs> um, I think I think she's rather tall and. Mm-hmm real life right and that's probably why and like rick moranis is shorter so i think that whole thing was you know a playoff there so their she height. only got hired because of her height is that what you're telling me right <laughs> could she have been replaced though that's that's my question could she have been swapped out for another actress in this movie could yeah completely fine yeah yeah <laughs> it's yeah. not her movie she barely has anything to do. i think you i think you could you could definitely say that for all the actors except for bill murray and even then, if you get another charismatic yeah. guy, maybe with those lines or that or that kind of stuff, you could replace him as well. Uh, I, I personally think that Rick Moranis is one of the funnier people in the whole mi- movie. Like, I think that his depiction is awesome. <laughs> I focus on him every time he's on the screen. He's the one that I'm looking at because he just makes some very interesting choices with his facial features and his hairstyle was funny. And everything about his depiction was 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 really good. Like when he's got the colander on his head, and they're trying to like to test him in uh in the Ghostbusters firehouse, and you see the dog in in the the infrared video, and you just watch him kind of like meander around and like stare at stuff and like pick weird things up. It, it's it's comedy gold. It makes me wonder if he if he might have had the most lines in the movie because <laughs> he just spews all his stuff out. He does talk pretty fast. I, I just like even when he's party, he's talking about how this is a tax deduction because they're clients and these new people come in and he's saying that hey, they got fifteen left on their mortgage. They're gonna be okay. <laughs> like things people wouldn't say. He, he was he yeah. was really good, uh, Chris. You're spot on. I really did enjoy uh, Rick Moranis, the uh, key master in uh, mm. this film. Yeah, yeah, I would say yeah. Rick Moranis is is someone who is who would not be easily replaced. Um, he dropped out of movies though, didn't he? I think after like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, I think he just like left. Right? I don't think he was in. Yeah, he he re- he retired because I believe his wife passed away, and he had a couple of kids, and so he decided to leave. He I guess he had enough money to kind of like subsist. So I think he left acting yeah. to like hang out with his kids, which is like a very noble noble yeah, thing very, and very rare. <laughs> In, in that industry and then i, I think he, he came back for uh like a, a commercial like with ryan reynolds yeah. <laughs> randomly wow. like huh. a couple of years ago i think and then he made the news for getting punched yeah uh unprovoked um i think in new york or something like yeah, that yeah he's going to a hotel there and yeah just got slugged in the street <laughs> yeah gosh mm-hmm. Well, what I will say about other characters, I think because uh, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis wrote this, I, I still feel that gives them a pretty good claim on their spots. You know, so I, I think uh, regardless if they had some other uh, cast decisions, I think they 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 warranted to be in those positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine anyone else in those spots. Um, and then, of course, you know, the fourth 
Ghostbuster, um, Winston, you know, you got, you got to have to feel bad because he, you know, he didn't get that much, uh, you know, uh, that main lines and stuff. I think his notable contribution was the whole stuff about revelations, mm-hmm. which I don't even remember from the first time around, but on, on this watch, you know, he brings it up when he's with uh, Dan Aykroyd in the car mm-hmm. about uh, the dead rising and stuff. Yeah, the religious undertones. I feel like he's supposed to be us. Like, he's supposed to be the observer. Like, he's supposed yeah. to be our, because we're not one of the scientists. We're not one of the friends that have been around forever. We're the outsider kind of peeping in on what they're doing. I think that's, he's supposed to be us. But they just, they just kind of drop him in just like everything else. Just like, like they drop little, little vignettes of sketches. They're dropping characters here and there, whatever they want. He just kind of gets thrown in there willy-nilly. But then he eventually ends up being an important character. So it's a... Uh, a very interesting, very interesting way to kind of introduce somebody. It's just like, hey, you're hired, and now you're part of the team. Yeah, the funny thing is, like, he is not on the poster. So the Ghostbusters, the like the cartoon, the four Ghostbusters, this movie, movie number two, four Ghostbusters. The poster for this movie is the three Ghostbusters, and he is not on it. That's a, a a huge omission on the on the go on the poster. I think he's last build in the uh, in the credits as well of the, the starring guy. Yeah, if, if it was Eddie Murray, but, he would be Eddie Murphy. He would Murphy. be on the poster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm looking at the run of the real Ghostbusters, which was from 1986 through 91. And it was a spinoff of this first. So I'm, I'm positive. I actually was bigger on the Ghostbusters, probably saw Ghostbusters two, and then came back to Ghostbusters, the, the original. I can't say which one I saw first. I, I remember the Ghostbusters TV show more than I do the movie. So I'm thinking that I saw the cartoon first, but my parents would have shown me anything at any age. So this, I could have, this could have been my first introduction to it. And I wouldn't have known. We found out in an earlier episode that my first watch of Terminator was not what I thought. Apparently, I was a young kid, probably baby or whatever year that came out, <laughs> and my dad was watching it, and I was in the room. So, <laughs> so you never know what you watched at a young age. <laughs> yeah, I honestly don't remember when I saw the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think I remember enjoying the second one more, but I, it, this, it's rather vague at this point. Um, are you guys excited for the uh, the new one, the new Ghostbusters? I'd like yeah, I'd like to see what they what their take is on that one. It's uh, I actually I all a preface is I actually did see it already. Oh. It was at comic. It was at oh. it was at New York Comic Con. Mm-hmm. I went to their panel and they were like, "Oh, let's show a clip of the movie," and they're like, "Oh, well, let's just show the whole movie." And it's like an hour no an hour way. and a half movie. They they kind of showed it wasn't the best place to see a movie like in a panel stage, but yeah. it was still it was fun seeing it with with everybody in the room and all, all the shocks and awes and stuff. It's uh if you love nostalgia, you will you will like it. So I, okay, I think they embraced. I it. think they did a really good job, and I won't say anything else. But it's really yeah. really good. Okay. Do you think it was better than the more recent Ghostbusters? I really I like the recent one. I, I know it got a lot of hate from some people for whatever reasons, and I'm sure they had their own. But I liked it. I thought it was funny. I mean, my wife and I have probably seen it once or twice, but we still quote things from that movie, like. The Melissa McCarthy character in that Ghostbusters film was funny as hell. Uh, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was exactly what I exactly what I wanted from a Ghostbusters film. I don't know why it got kind of kind of yelled at. I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. I wasn't part of the hate mob, but I, I just thought it was in the OK camp. I thought the I thought the casting was great. I love those ladies on SNL. Uh, so I thought they were all really funny. 
and I I liked it. So I'm I was all Maybe I was for me it was too funny, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and like Chris Helmsworth as the like stupid secretary was spot was awesome. I I I I dug the movie. I guess I'm in the minority there, but I did. I liked it a lot. I'm in the okay camp. I'm not as I said in the the the, the hate mob of it, but. I feel like I always, for things that I like, I always err to the side of just give me more of things that I like. And even if yeah. it's just kind of mediocre, I'm still going to really be into it. Like, I feel the same way with Star Wars movies. <laughs> just brought that up. The I was going to say Star Wars. The fact there's that there's Wars just Wars more of it, you give me enough of it, I will pick out the cream of the crop for myself. So I think if there's just something I like, I want more of it. And But I actually, I did like it. I'm not even, I think I might like that one more than Ghostbusters 2 there oh i, I got i gotta go rewatch i can't even say anything i gotta see it again because i think i have a lot of nostalgia for two you know with the the use and all that <laughs> yeah I, I have not seen the third one um but i am planning to rewatch the second and third one before watching the fourth is the so. is the third one the 2016 one yeah oh okay it's the one that had a so, lot of female, female uh, comedians mm -hmm. yeah yeah they... I, i'd heard that it, it wasn't didn't get good reviews so i didn't want to watch like there's too many franchises that you know they do another another version many years later um mm. like indiana jones comes to mind that i just wish i, I never watched the last one so it's that's a trilogy that's all yeah <laughs> so um so yeah so that's why i never watched it but now that there's a fourth one and it seems to be well reviewed i feel like it would be weird to skip the third one even even if it's kind of independent, uh, yeah, it's, it's worth a watch. It's worth a watch. I, 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 Chris is right. The, the the internet got all crazy about it. It's not. I've seen a lot of movies, franchises brought back from the dead to do do a much worse job. Let's just put it that way. So it's not like you're not going to cringe through the whole thing. I'd like to, once again, in the most humble way possible, congratulate myself, which is Nick, for winning this episode. This means a lot to me, guys. Congratulations, so, Nick. Uh, Congratulations. But, uh, yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. And I'm really glad it was Ghostbusters of all films. In addition to our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. What popped into your head at Gozer's Command and why? Let's continue the conversation on Twitter at Talking Studios. Have additional thoughts? Email us at talkingpicturestrivia at gmail.com or give us a call at 201-467-8679 for a chance to be featured on one of our future From the Listeners episodes. Thanks again, Chris and Doug, for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. I think I'm going to make, I'm going to, I'm going to call that phone number and see what actually is on the other end. I, I, I don't believe that it actually exists. I'm going to actually call that number and leave a message. Do mm -hmm. it. Do it. I dare you. And while you're at it, call that number and make a fake ad. And maybe you too will be featured on one of our future episodes as a sponsor. Oh my goodness. And so Doug, <laughs> thank you. In addition for joining us for uh, really providing the questions here and, and getting some riveting Ghostbusters conversation going. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, as always. Yes, here I am. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas Lehman fifteen. Um, and the 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 B sides are coming back for lies. lies. They will come back one day. Uh, there's a bunch of them that no one has listened to, and I I mean literally no one. So uh, 
yeah, jump on. I will. I will get these back out. I promise. They'll come back. They're coming back. I can also be found on Twitter at the nicknamed. Join us next time when we discuss Tom's recommendation from 1927 Sunrise. Stay tuned for our first impressions of this film. Ding, 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 ding. All right, so we're discussing Sunshine today. And I honestly don't remember where I first saw this movie. I don't think I saw it in a class. I might have seen it in on break at college or or in high school or something like that. And I really haven't seen it in a few years. I think quite a number of years until I saw it again for this podcast after, after suggesting it. And I really, really love this movie. I, I you know, I think most of the movie occurs after the, the major conflict. <laughs> it's like, you know, this post-denouement film. Um, but I, I could really put this on, I think, and watch it anytime because mostly it's just about people having fun. Um, most of the movie is kind of spectacle and pleasure. Um, and that's kind of what I get out of it and what I really like about it. Yeah, this was the first watch for me. I uh, watched it for the show. Um, and as Tom mentioned, it's sunrise, not sunshine, actually, Tom. I thought the first act was amazing. It was creepy. It was intense. And I would paused and then started the movie again another time. And I thought I was watching a completely different movie. It, it changes a lot, as these guys are saying. But um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with Tom. I actually... I don't remember when I first saw this movie. Um, I and I'd forgotten that I'd even seen it when I was watching it last night. I actually realized about you know ten minutes in that I had actually seen this movie before at some point. I thought maybe it was from one of my classes in college, but actually I checked with people and no one else that I went to those classes with and no one else had seen it. So I'm guessing that I probably watched this in like 2010, 2011 when I was doing lots of flights, um, and I used to just watch a lot of silent movies and so i'm guessing that's when i watched it um but i actually don't really know when i watched it i'm with tom it is it's a it's a it's a very it is a very beautiful movie and i i think it's um it's 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 not as tom says it's not necessarily the most plot driven film um which i'm totally fine with that so it's it's a very um very interesting film so this was also a first watch for me, and I was afraid I wouldn't even get to the first watch because for some reason, the version that I started to watch was defaulting to a commentary overlay from cinematographer John Bailey. Fortunately, I eventually came to my senses and found the way to turn it off so that I could actually hear the music and watch the movie in peace. It was a fun film, but uh, yeah, I was a little stressed out because I was cutting it close to the wire here. And uh, I had some technical difficulties, which luckily I worked out just in time for the episode. 